Well, I am so excited to have the opportunity to share the word with you today, to break open the bread of life. Just before we get into the message, let me just mention a couple things. Uh, one is we have an, a ministry opportunity tonight for all of our boys and girls. So if you brought kids this morning or grandkids, uh, please listen up. Tonight we're going to St. Peter's Apartments over in Columbia. Uh, the kids got announcements already to take home, but I know how that stuff happens sometimes. We, you know, it never makes it home, and, and church is over, and there's a whole bunch of announcements laying on the floor upstairs. And so we're telling you, uh, the kids are meeting here at 4.30. They're going to take the bus over to St. Peter's Apartments. Uh, if there's room on the bus, you're welcome to ride on the bus. If not, we'll just carpool over behind the bus. At 5 p.m., the kids are ministering. We're going to uh, lead that retirement community there and their family and friends in some Christmas carols, and they're going to... They're going to act out the Christmas story, and then Pastor Chris is going to share a message. It'll be about uh, one hour of ministry, and there'll be some refreshments, and it'll be a great time. I, I want to encourage you, even if you don't have kids, if you'd like to be a part of that, tonight you can meet us here at 4.30 or meet over there at 5 if you know where it's at, and be a part of that with us. It's going to be a great opportunity to bless uh, that uh, apartment complex and it will be indoor ministry. Uh, I know we did the tree lighting outdoor last week. This will be an indoor event, so dress accordingly. The second thing I want to mention, and this is so important, you just heard Val talk about it on the announcements. That's our Christmas Eve services. I was thinking about this this week, and, and I started thinking about how many people in our church weren't a part of this last year. There are many of you, maybe you've never been a part of a Christmas Eve service at Wrightsville Assembly of God. What I don't want to happen is for you to write this off as a, an extra thing that we do. Because if you've never been, you might not know this, but you need to know today that our Christmas Eve service is the largest service that we have all year. And, and I'll go a little farther than that, and I believe it's the most important service that we have all year. And the reason I think it's so important is because the ratio of lost people to saved people in the room is way higher than on any other Sunday in the year. Now, I want to encourage you, if you've never been a part of the Christmas Eve service, to prioritize being here this year. In case you didn't know, it's December 24th. It's Christmas Eve. And we're doing three services this year. We've never done that for any occasion ever before. We've never had three services. There's two, re two reasons that we're having three services. One is because if you were here last year for the first of two services, you know that we had every chair that we own set out. This room was absolutely jam-packed all the way back to the doors. And it was exciting, but it was stuffy. And we want to make room. We want to make room for more people. The other reason that we're doing this is because we want to remove as many barriers or hindrances from people coming. We know everybody has their traditions. Some of you, you, you have like a big dinner that you need to cook that night. If that's you, come to the three o'clock service. We have a 3 p.m. service. Some of you, and I've been this guy in years past, God help me, it's not going to be this year, but you've got shopping to do. On Christmas Eve, you'll be out there throwing elbows at the mall all morning. The six o'clock service is for you, all right? So come to the late service. If, if you don't have to cook anything or host anybody or buy anything, come to the one in the middle, all right? Come to the 4.30 service because we have three different services. And in all, in all seriousness, church, I want to challenge you to, to make this a, a total team effort. Here's where my heart is. 
I believe we're going to have 400 people in attendance to worship on Christmas Eve this year. That's a number we've never seen before. And listen, to me, it's not, it's not, it's not about finding a crowd. If I needed a crowd, I'd just take a soapbox down to the mall, and you know, I could stand up there and preach all day. It's not about a crowd. It's about that ratio of saved and lost people. I have no expectation that everybody from the other churches is coming to our Christmas Eve service, but all of us know people that only attend church maybe once or twice a year. And for whatever reason, and and this is by the grace of God, even though we've watched our culture slide farther and farther away from its Christian moorings, by the grace of God, there is still a wide open invitation to come to the manger. People that want really nothing to do with church, they still sing Silent Night, Holy Night. They still sing Away in a Manger. They probably still have a nativity in their living room. And so there's no other opportunity greater than the one that we have on Christmas Eve to get lost people to come near. So I'm going to ask you and challenge you to, to pray to that end and to strategize towards that end. Let's see God do something big this year. Now, I want to get right into the message today, and we're going we're gonna to light some of these candles that we have up here. We started this series a couple weeks ago, as I mentioned earlier, with North Star Initiative, and we lit the candle of hope. This hope candle reminds us, the Bible says that hope is an anchor for the soul. The hope candle reminds us that, that even when things look absolutely bleak, there is still hope for us, and that hope we know is in Jesus. Hope has a name, and it's Jesus. And then the next week, we lit this second candle, and it's the candle of peace. And last weekend, we saw some incredible stories of, of men and women, or men from the Teen Challenge program, that their lives were wrecked, and God gave them peace, and we're keeping that peace, so we're going to light it twice. <laughs> Don't fight me now. I'm fighting for my peace up here. And we prayed about that, and we saw God through their... Y'all, y'all let me know if I lose my peace. I need to make sure that that candle doesn't go out. I'll be up here with a torch next Sunday. But we heard some incredible testimonies last weekend, didn't we? Of guys whose lives were in shambles, and they said, God restored. God brought me peace. We good? Man, you guys, hey. <laughs> I should do more object lessons. You guys are more engaged right now than you've been all morning, man. Like, see if I got any more tricks in my pocket here I can pull out to make this sermon a little better. <laughs> well, today, we're going to light the candle of joy. And if you were wondering, the joy candle is the pink one. The rose-colored candle, it stands out from the others in color because it stands out in mood. See, the whole idea of Advent, the word means coming. The whole Advent season is pregnant with anticipation for what will be. And a lot of times when we have a longing that is not yet met, we can grow faint of heart. We can begin to despair at what hasn't yet come. But the statement today is that even in the midst of, of unmet expectations, Joy shines. The light of joy can shine today. You know, we open this service singing a song that's very familiar to us. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. And I hear that song every Christmas. That I don't know if you ever thought about this before, but it's not even a Christmas song. Now, it's an Advent song, 
It's definitely appropriate that we sing it, but if you think about the lyrics, especially the second verse that says, he rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness. Listen, Jesus is coming to prove his righteousness, to rule and reign on a throne, but that's his second coming. That's the second advent. He didn't come as a king the first time. He came as a sacrificial lamb, and yet We sing that song every year, and it is appropriate that we say joy to the world. The Lord has come. But the the more challenging question is, could you sing joy to the world? The Lord will come. Because we should be able to. We should be able to look with anticipation at the promise of what will happen and sing it with the same confidence that we say the Lord has come. If you've ever wondered for even a moment if it's possible to have joy in spite of unmet expectations, all you have to do is talk to a kid after church today and ask them if they're excited about this Christmas, right? I mean, hey, no guarantee. There might not be anything in those boxes. I don't know. You might get cold this year. I don't know if you ever tried that with your kids. You know, we try to leverage it. It doesn't matter what you say. You know they're excited about Christmas, They have all the confidence based on previous experience and all the stuff they watch on TV that Christmas is going to be awesome. And they're ready for it. And there's joy. Even though it hasn't come yet, there's an expectation that this Christmas is going to be great. And the closer they get to it, the more more their joy grows. Why is that? Why is joy present for things that haven't yet come? One word, faith. Faith. Isn't isn't that what you see in your kids and grandkids? It's, It's faith. It's absolute confidence that even though they know how bad they've been, it's still gonna be a good Christmas. Not by works, lest anyone should boast. It's all you. Just, you know, you're good. They know you're good. And so there's faith. That's the way it is for us when it comes to finding joy. Faith. You know, for a lot of people, the emotion or the mood that surrounds this holiday is not joy. I don't know if there's anyone in this room that's experiencing this kind of holiday season, but there's a lot of people that are, are facing disappointment. They're, they're, they're facing heartache, maybe because of a lost loved one or because of broken dreams. And, and it seems like the more happy everybody else gets about the holidays, that joy magnifies your despair. I, I, I was a little bit shocked this week. I was scrolling on Facebook, and, and I saw a friend of mine that posted this statement. I can't wait for this season to be over. I mean, it, it stopped my scroll right there. I was like, wow. I mean, I know people feel that way, but you know, to say it out loud in such a public way, I can't wait for this season to be over. And it just It reminded me again that that's the reality for a lot of people in the midst of the Christmas season. It's that high bar of happiness that can feel like an impossible goal. And I mean, you and I know we're not supposed to compare ourselves with other people, but you can't help it, right? I mean, I mean, every everything. Our life is so 
driven by social media and by comparison. And even today, you know, you're, you're taking pictures of, of your family before and after service. You know you're going to be comparing your family photo to everybody else's family photo. Like, you know, we shouldn't do it, I know, but we do. And when we do, sometimes it can rob us of our joy. So I want to, I want to challenge you today, in the midst of that type of reality that we're living in, you need to know today that Christmas is a season that stands for us today between two advents. The first advent, Jesus came as a babe in a manger. The second advent, he's coming again as a conquering king. But you need to know today that because we live between two advents, you and I have every reason to experience true and lasting joy. It doesn't sound like you believe me when I said that. I'm just going to say it twice, just to pretend you didn't hear it the first time. Because you live between two advents, you and I have every reason to experience true and lasting joy. The Bible says in Galatians 5, the joy of the Lord is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. You know, when you receive Christ as your Savior, it's His Spirit that came to live on the inside of you. The Spirit of Jesus lives in you. That's the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says in Galatians 5 that joy is a fruit. It's a product. It is produced by the Spirit of God that lives on the inside of you. That means like a fruit, it's something that is developed. It's a developed perspective. It's not just an emotional response. I mean, happiness is great, but happiness requires happenings. And unfortunately, happiness doesn't stick around for too long because stuff happens. About time something happens that gives you happiness, something else happens and your happiness is gone. But joy, if joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit, listen, if joy is a fruit of the Spirit, then Christ is the root of that fruit. Christ in you, the Bible says, the hope of glory. And if you have Christ in your heart, joy is within your reach today. It's within your reach. You can have joy. I preached a message three weeks ago about the algorithm of joy. And we looked at Paul in Philippians chapter one. He wrote that letter from a, from a prison. But in that same letter in chapter four, verse four and five, he said these words. He said, rejoice in the Lord always. And I will say it again, rejoice. Verse five, let your gentleness be evident to all, the Lord is near. How in the world could Paul, from a prison cell, shackled to a Roman guard, how could he say, rejoice in the Lord always? And again, I say rejoice. I mean, come on, in the flesh, we're saying, not now, not here, not in this moment. But yet, that was Paul's perspective. And, and the, the reason, the explanation is right here in verse 5, the last four words. The Lord is near. See, if Christ is within your heart today, joy is within your reach. Paul understood the Lord is near. And so my, my prayer for you today and my prayer for you this Advent season is as we light this third candle, as we light the joy candle, my prayer is that God would ignite a flame of joy in your heart. 
I'm not talking about happiness. I'm not talking about a joy that, that falls apart like a Christmas tree in February. I'm talking, about, I'm talking about sustaining joy. I'm talking about joy that catches you off guard. Joy that surprises you because it's still there when it doesn't make sense. And as I was praying about this holiday season and, and praying about this message of joy that God wants to give to us today, I, I thought about my friend Max Brockmeyer. Max and his wife, Lauren, are missionaries with the Assemblies of God, and they're getting ready to go back onto the field uh, to minister with Convoy of Hope, who, who we've supported throughout this year. But Max has an incredible testimony of God's work in his life, of sustaining joy. And so I called Max several weeks ago, and I said, could, could you and Lauren come and be with us during the Advent season? And they drove all the way in from Vermont last night. And so I want to ask you to give a warm Wrightsville Assembly of God welcome to my friends, our missionaries, Max and Lauren Brockmeyer. Amen. Thank you, Max. Well, good morning, everybody. How y'all doing? Good, good. Well, we drove in, yeah, like I said, from... Vermont last night. We stayed in Lancaster. Uh, don't worry, it's Lancaster. I know. Don't worry. I'm from York County, so I, I like to throw in some of that. Uh, like, yeah, I really am from here, okay? I grew up on Scrapple and Turkey Hill iced tea, and, and, and yeah, like, who likes Scrapple in here? I always ask, yes. And then my wife was like, uh-uh. Like, that's gross. That's nasty. How'd that even get invented? Like, I, every time I ask, you know, I talk to people and I, I find out they're from Pennsylvania, my first uh, question is like, do you like Scrapple? I don't know why, just like what I do. Uh, it's weird, but anyways. So, uh, yeah, but we live in uh, Massachusetts, so I am, uh, I know you're going to hate me, but I am a Patriots fan, so, uh, all right, and here's the reason why, really? Nice, okay. Um, someone earlier was like, yeah, you probably know who he was, but uh, so I grew up in York County. I grew up, I was one of six kids in the family, and I had three older brothers. One like the Patriot, or nope, one like the Steelers, one like the Eagles, one like the Ravens. I'm like, no, no, none of that, all right? I got to be different, so, but I am from York County. I grew up in Shrewsbury, Pennsylvania, and uh, grew up in a really loving and caring home, and so my wife and I, we met at Bible College. Uh, we were youth pastors for a couple years, and then God called us out onto the mission field, and we moved back into Pennsylvania, and that's where we actually got connected with you guys uh, about five years ago, it was. It's been a while. Like, I'm 30 now. Like, now people are like, man, you are old. Like, yo, like, I'm, I'm not that old. Come on, give me a break. So, um, and uh, now we're missionaries to Europe, and so I'll share more about that a little bit later, but it is a privilege and honor to be here and share with you guys a little bit about my story and just how God has called, well, how God has brought me from some very unfortunate situations in my life. Um, if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to uh, Romans chapter 15, verse 13? And speaking of joy, it's actually a, a joy and peace and hope and love and, and all that, you know, during this Advent season, um, this verse really has spoken to me within this, the whole year, rather, uh, that we've been back home. But um, Romans 15, verse 13, and it says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. 
So this morning, what I want to share with you, you know, God, God was my hope. And I say was, there's a reason, but God was my hope growing up, you know, as, as a, ch- uh, a kid in a, you know, we were six kids and I was second youngest. My parents, they, we did the right things. We grew up in a Christian home, went to church on Sunday, went to church on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, like, like every day of the week. My parents weren't even the pastors. We were always there. You know, it's crazy. And, uh, but we did, we, we thought we were doing the right things. Prayed before meals, went to church, did all that stuff, went to youth group. And I thought I knew God. I thought I could really trust and hope in him. But it wasn't until October 1st, 2004, when I lost all hope, when I lost all joy. It felt like joy was like ripped slowly out of me and I could never believe in God again. What happened was I find myself in uh, central Pennsylvania, Juniata County. I was with the Royal Ranger programs. Are you familiar with Royal Rangers? For those who may or may not know, Royal Rangers is a scouting program with the Assemblies of God. But I find myself at this big event. I mean, there was probably 400 men and boys at this big event, this powwow. And we're all getting set up. And the next thing I know, one of my Ranger leaders comes running up the hill. And he's like, Max, Max, something happened to your brother. And I thought he was joking. And... Basically, long story short, my brother, uh, he had two things. He was born with what's called a radio club arm, where his arm came down to about his elbow, and that was due to his birth mother's fetal alcohol syndrome, and then he was also born with a form of autism. Uh, so anytime he got something on his mind, he would just do it for whatever reason, and nothing would stop him. And he, what we think happened was he climbed up onto the back of this box truck, and before it was too late to tell the driver that my brother was still on this truck, he drove off and left the camp. And as he drove over this bridge, my brother fell off onto this steel gray bridge. They had to fly him to Hershey Medical Center, where uh, it took like 12 minutes for the helicopter to get there. It took us two hours because of how remote we were. We finally get to the, to the hospital where they put us in a waiting room. It was my father and family friends of ours. And uh, my mom and the rest of our family was up coming up from Maryland. And I remember the doctors walked in, and the doctor takes his hat off. And he starts to explain to my father that they did everything that they could. And, I could, and I'm sitting there as a 15-year-old boy uh, thinking, but your doctors, like, you can heal. You can fix him. You know, this is 21st century. There's always something more that you can do. And that's when my friend turned to me, and he's like, Max, he didn't make it. And the next thing I know, my mom walks in and talk about joy. That was the moment when nothing made sense anymore was when my mom walked in and my dad had to tell my mother that her one son was never coming home again. She lost it, completely lost it. So there's clearly nothing more that we could do. And we finally go home that night and wake up the next morning thinking I had the worst dream in the world. And that was the tipping point. It was like I hit a brick wall and nothing would be the same again. All those times that I had prayed to God, all those times that we did the right things, all those times that we, we were that Christian family, you know? And this is how God, those prayers, he didn't even answer. It made no sense to me whatsoever. And so from that moment on, it was like I said, I hit a brick wall. I wanted nothing to do with God. I changed everything about me from the way I dressed, the way I ate, the people I hung out with. I wanted nothing to do with a God that I thought could help us out, but didn't in this so desperate time of need. And so I find myself, I I turned away from Christ and all that. And fast forward to August 2005, find myself back at that same camp. And you think, well, why in the world would you go back up there, you know? Well, for me, I love camping. It was just what I did. It was who I was. I love the outdoors. And so long story short, a big event going on. And the next thing I know, I see one of my friends comes running over the hill, He's like, he's yelling my name, Max, Max, something happened to your father. 
what had happened was, as they were, my dad had been working on this two-ton generator that would help supply electricity to the whole camp. And as they were off into the, into the woods unloading it, it had gotten away from him, had rolled off of a trailer, pinned my dad between a tree, crushed his entire body, broke every single rib, multiple spots, each rib, punctured his lung, major, crushed him, flew him to the exact same hospital where we were placed in the exact same waiting room. And by this time, our whole family was there, and the doctors, all the doctors walked in at this point. They all take their hats off. And they all say, you know, prepare tonight because he's not going to make it. It's medically impossible. He was crushed. So we go home that night. And although I wasn't serving the Lord at the time, my mom was. And she, she, I remember her calling everybody that she could and saying, you know, the doctors say this. The doctors say there's no hope. But what we can do is at least pray. And I remember waking up that next morning um, and the doctors called and the doctor started to explain to my mother that they don't, he, he said, I don't know who or what you believe in, but it worked. He had miraculously pulled through being crushed. He was supposed to die that night. It was, it was medically impossible, but God. And it was still a long road to recovery for my father. He was in the intensive care unit at Hershey Medical Center for 68 days. And anytime you're in the ICU for one day is long enough. And as if those two incidences weren't enough, we had found out that my dad's small electrical contracting company had, um, uh, the secretary had been embezzling thousands and thousands of dollars and neglected to pay the IRS. And we got a phone call saying, we're supposed to lose it all. The car, the house, the business, everything. It was like my world was falling apart around us. And it felt like God was just up there in the sky somewhere looking down on me, laughing at me and my family. And it, as a 15 or 16-year-old boy at that time, it just none of this made sense. And so I remember I came home one night and I said, God, I want nothing to do with you. If this is the God that you are, if this is the God that every time we tried to pray, this is what happens, this is how we get treated, it made no sense. And in fact, I want nothing to do with you or the rest of this world. And so as a 16-year-old boy, I came home, at those things in the back of my mind, and um, I, you may have may not noticed, but I was born with physical handicaps. I don't have any toes. And... Um, I have shortened fingers. And I said, God, I can't, you don't even love me so much that other people don't love me. So I came home determined to end it all. I went and I grabbed a bottle of pills. And I remember thinking to myself, well, if that doesn't work, I went and I grabbed my dad's handgun. And I walked back to my bedroom. And for some reason, I sat on my bed. And for some reason, I ended up falling asleep. And I wish I could give you this awesome story of how God appeared to me in this dream or this vision, you know, something like the movies. But it wasn't that. It was, it was his still small voice speaking into my heart that night. God's saying, how dare you destroy something I created? He said, I gave you a second chance. Who are you to destroy that? And what I mean by second chance is, you see, I was born in the former Soviet Union. Days after I was born, my parents abandoned me in the hospital. They hadn't taken care of me. I was malnourished. They had neglected me. And I was placed in the Soviet orphanage system to never have been given a chance at life again. It was so specific, the orphanage, that it wasn't even given a name, just a number. Orphanage number nine on the outskirts of Moscow. And for children born of physical handicaps at a certain age, we were to be sent out into Siberia to be forgotten about. So my life should have been something else but God. And it wasn't until 1992 when the Soviet Union collapsed and the wall came down that a couple who weren't able to have their own kids, their kids of their own, and that's a whole other story and miracle in and of itself, who weren't able to have kids of their own, they had gone to a conference in New Jersey to hear about Romanian adoptions. And at the very end, a lady stood up and she had showed a picture of myself and another boy. And she said, because of how grossly handicapped these two children are, no one's willing to adopt them. She had been to like 10 other conferences. And my parents looked at each other and said, 
Let's give them a better home in the United States. And that's exactly what they did. And so in 1992, I was one of the very first children ever adopted out of the former Soviet Union. I was number 17. And so I had to make a decision that night. I could have ended it all right there, rightfully so, because my world was falling apart around me. But God had to restore my joy. God had to restore my hope in him to say, look at what I have done for you. How dare you uh, destroy what I've created? How dare you ruin everything? I have bigger and better plans for you. No matter what the world says, no matter what the doctors have said, there's so many reasons. I could, the list is endless. And even to this day, I still wonder, like, God, what, what do you, you know, sometimes I wonder. I, I doubt sometimes. That's just me being human. But I go back to that, especially that passage, and especially this time of year, like Pastor was saying, this is a hard time of year for a lot of us. I had, even after that, like I said, even after that fact, I still have to go to God because I had more tragedies after that. My grandfather had a really tragic uh, uh, form of lung cancer uh, and passed away very, very tragically. And not even a year later, my grandmother couldn't take it anymore, and she took her own life in, her own, in our house. And so through those situations, I share all this. I know this is a very, like, dark whatever story or whatever, but there, there is hope. And that's what I want to share with you guys, especially with those that are going through stuff this Christmas season. It's a hard time of year. But don't let the, the, the people of this world try to tell you one thing. Social media tell you all this stuff, and, and doctors tell you one thing, or your bank account tells you another thing. Let God work in your heart through this Christmas season. Let God move through your heart, because some of us need that hope. Some of us need that joy restored in our lives, because we have so many things, so much baggage back there, and we don't know how to handle it. And I could be the first one to tell you, going through that tough time, I, I, I remember asking one of my friends, I said, I don't even know how to pray anymore. It's that bad. Some of us have gotten to that point, but I want you to know that you are not alone in this. There are people here in this church, and even afterwards, if you need prayer, I, I beg you. I beg you to seek God because it's not going to be an easy road, but through, God, through Christ, man, it, it's, it's amazing. God has been able to restore that joy and restore that peace, and that's kind of what's led us to this point right now, and I'll quickly end with this. You know, God has given us this incredible opportunity. My wife and I will be moving back to Europe. We were uh, missionaries in Belgium for a couple years, and now God has called us back over to Europe. We'll be partnering with this incredible organization called Convoy of Hope, where we'll be working and ministering to the refugees. We'll be doing outreach programs throughout the entire continent, and we'll be doing uh, basically empowering the, the local church uh, to, to really work in their communities. You know, we can take our American ideas and, and go out there, but at the end of the day, it doesn't work. So we'll be able to empower the local church because some of these churches have no idea that they have the ability to do what they do or what they can do. And so we are just there saying, hey, we got the resources. How can we help you? How can we empower you guys to reach your community in your context? And so God has just used us and allowed us to go over there and minister. And so it's, it's with your prayer and your support that allows my wife and I to do that. And, and it, you know, as I close with this, you know, walking through the streets of Europe, you see the hopelessness. Less than 3% of all of Europeans claim Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. They need Jesus. And so we are just another tool or instrument that God has allowed us to, use, uh, to be used to go over there and spread that joy and spread that peace and spread that hope. 
in such a time, in such a need, in such a, a, need, a needed time, if you will. And so as I close with this, first of all, thank you guys for your prayers. Uh, you know, I, I don't consider this a curse. A lot of people have asked, well, you know, don't you want to be changed? I'm like, no, like my gloves are cheaper than everybody's. My shoes are cheaper than all you guys. I only ask two things. Like one, one thing I say, you know, when people pray for us, say, don't push. Uh, I will fall. I don't have good balance. It's not the Holy Spirit. I just don't have toes, okay? So be careful. And then two, I really wish, I love music. Like, you guys are really good. Like, awesome. I wish I could play the banjo, you know, like be like one of the greats, Delma Curry, Steve Martin, Kermit the Frog. I just really want to play the banjo. All right, in heaven, I'll play it, all right? You know, like, bluegrass is huge around here. I love it. I miss that. You go up to New England, like, bluegrass? What's that, you know? Anyways, guys, thank you so much for your support. If you have any questions, feel free to, we have a table back there. Grab one of our prayer cards. We've got a website to learn more about what we're doing. If you need prayer, we'd love to pray for you. Obviously, we covet your prayers just as much, but if there's anything that we can pray for you about, please don't hesitate to ask. I know it's like, oh, there's the missions table, and I don't know what to ask a missionary. I could talk about Scrapple all day, okay? So if you want to talk about Scrapple, I'm, I'm your guy, all right? So guys, thank you so much. It's been a privilege and an honor. God bless. <laughs> Amen. Thank you, Max. <laughs> well. I want to just follow what he just shared with you with, with a caution. Don't dare listen to a story like that and, and, and think to yourself, I wish I were that strong. Sometimes that's what we do when we see people that have dealt with impossibilities and somehow they just keep getting back up and, 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 and here he, he stands and and they're ministering for the Lord and serving the Lord on other continents. Don't believe for a moment that you could have his joy if you had his strength. Because actually the very opposite is true. The Bible says in Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 10, the joy of the Lord is my strength. So listen, you don't have to be strong to get joy. It's because you have the joy of the Lord that you can be strong. And I want to tell you today, again, if Christ is in your heart, then, then joy can be yours. It's within your reach. You know, the, the story that we often look at in this season, in Luke chapter 2, in fact, I want to read a portion of it to you. It speaks about this joy, and it says in Luke 2, verse 8, there were shepherds living out in the fields that were keeping their flocks by night when an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Then it says this, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Now, if you take the time to study out the word all in that verse, you find out it means all. Joy for all the people. Can I tell you today, you're all the people. We're all the people. This message of good news that will cause great joy is joy for you today. You are, you are not the exemption. This is God's promise to you and to I. Now listen, I, I don't know what your view of God is. 
Maybe your circumstances, maybe the stuff you've dealt with has, has convoluted your image of a, of a God of love into something else, a God of animosity or, or a God that's out to get you. I don't know what your view of the Bible is, or maybe you just think it's an old dusty book about judgment, and I don't know what your view of Christianity is, or the people that sit to your right and to your left, but can I tell you today? that the scriptures are consistent in saying this, that the life of a Christian, the life that Christ offers you and I is a life of tremendous and abiding joy. I mean, sustaining, consistent, always present joy. You, you read through the Old Testament and you come to verses like Psalm 37, 4. It says, delight yourself in the Lord. I don't know if you knew that, but serving the Lord is supposed to be a delight. Delight yourself in the Lord. Psalm 102 says, serve the Lord with gladness. When you read Deuteronomy chapter 12 and verse 18, it tells us to rejoice before the Lord God in everything that you put your hand to. Doesn't matter if you're, you're, you're working the, the graveyard shift. You can Serve the Lord with gladness in everything you put your hand to. Jesus himself commanded in Luke chapter 6, verse 23. He said, rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Why? Because great is your reward in heaven. In John 15, verse 11, Jesus said, these things I have spoken to you so that my joy might be in you and so that your joy might be full. Those promises that God has given us are for the fulfillment of your joy. The apostle Paul, we quoted it earlier, Philippians 4.4. 4. He said, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. In Galatians 5, he said, joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. In 2 Corinthians 1, verse 24, Paul said, I'm convinced. He was convinced that he was gonna live through his imprisonment, through his trials, through his difficulties. Why? for the progress of the faith and for your joy. Joy. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says God loves a cheerful giver. Why? Because your joy matters to God. And on and on and on it goes. We could pick anywhere in the Bible and we could begin there and shortly we'd find joy. I want to challenge you today that if Christ is in your heart, then joy is within your reach. And you can, you can be joyful about the good things God's doing right now. I mean, praise God for that. And, and you can be joyful about the things that God has done in your past. I mean, this is a time of year where, you know, nostalgia is in, it's a hot commodity. We love to look back. We love to remember and think about all the good things from the past. But hear me today. You have a, a secret weapon of joy. You have a, a joy superpower, if you will, that's at your disposal today. And that is joy in what God will do. Not just joy to the world, the Lord has come, but it's a joy to the Lord, he will come. There is a joy that can be yours and mine based on what God is going to do. That's what it means to live in anticipation. That's what it means to be in Advent, to know that every day, regardless of what I'm facing, I can know that, that hope is before me, that peace is before me, that joy is before me. You know, when the shepherds rejoiced in Luke 2, they rejoiced because of what they had seen and heard. It says very clearly. They rejoiced in what they had seen and heard. The reason it caused great joy to them is because it says in the next couple of verses, this day, 
Like today, in the city of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. He's the Messiah. You're going to find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And so they could see him. They could hear his cry. And they had joy. And for the next 33-some years, many people saw and heard, and they experienced a present joy in the presence of Jesus. But what about us? What about right now? What about 2,000 years later, when you don't have the, the luxury and the privilege of, of, of hearing Jesus' voice and of experience his miracles firsthand? Well, the apostle Peter wrote to people like you and me long after Jesus' resurrection and ascension back up to heaven. People were becoming Christ followers who had never seen Jesus in the flesh. People were becoming Christ followers who had never experienced one of his miracles or heard one of his parables being taught. And in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8, he says these words, and they're very applicable to you and me. He says, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. And you are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. You know what the hope is in that statement? The hope is, I'm not asking you to feel something this morning. I'm not asking you to see something. You don't have to strain your eyes. You don't have to try to conjure up some emotion. You might feel nothing. Peter said, look, you don't see him, but you love him anyway. You don't feel him, but you believe. And I want to challenge you today to let faith arise for what will be, for what God will do. Because, and the reason I say that's a superpower of joy is because it's the joy that Jesus tapped into at the biggest crisis of his own life. I mean, just imagine for a minute the life of Jesus. The Bible says he, he, never, he never sinned. He was like us tempted at all points, yet without sin. That means Jesus not only never committed a sin, he never spoke a sinful word. Jesus never even thought a sinful thought. So now listen, I can find joy looking back in my memory bank. I can go back and I can think of some great experiences, but I can also look back and think of some things I'd rather forget. How about you? I mean, not everything in my past brings me joy. Jesus never had that problem. Absolute, perfect record, perfect history. At any moment, at any crisis situation, Jesus could look back over his life and he could think, I'm, it was perfect. Remember the good old days? Yeah, it was like two minutes ago. I'm perfect. Like, perfect. And yet when Jesus was about to go to the cross and he was experiencing the agony of that moment, the Bible gives us a beautiful picture of of where his reservoir of joy was in that moment. And the Bible says about Jesus in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, it says, let us, you and me, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. Why? What did he do to blaze a trail for us? Why should we fix our eyes on him? Look at it. It says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The joy that Jesus looked to was the joy set before him. What was that joy? Was it, was it an eternity in heaven with God? 
No, he, he had that before he ever came to the earth. He could have looked back and seen that. Was it a life of sinless perfection? No, he had already experienced that. The joy that was set before Jesus was not just heaven with the Father. It was the reality that on the other side of the cross, your sin and my sin are going to be fully paid for. And that eternal promise is now going to include you. I don't know if you know this, but you are the joy that was set before him. The joy that was set before Jesus was the fact that the the barrier wall of hostility in Ephesians 2 would be torn down with the veil in the temple and that you and I could boldly approach the throne room of grace. You have access to a relationship with God because of what Jesus did on the cross. And in the biggest, most critical, difficult moment of his life, he didn't look back on a life of perfection or look around at the circumstances and the friendships and the gifts and, and all the things of life. He set his gaze for the joy that was set before him. That's Advent. That's the hope that you and I have today, that no matter what I'm facing, there is a joy that can be mine. David David needed that joy. Many of you are familiar with his story. It's a a long and entangled web that he wove, but at some point, David, the great king of Israel, found himself in a situation that you and I have maybe found ourselves at times. And that was a place where he was alone saying, how did I get here? A glance of the eye turned into a sinful pursuit, an unplanned pregnancy, a covered up affair turned into murder. And now David's looking at this mess of his life going, how did I get here? And in the midst of all of that, he prays a beautiful prayer. It's recorded in Psalm 51. And there's just one verse in the prayer that I, wanna, I want you to see because I think this is such an incredible prayer for us to pray in this Advent season. In Psalm 51 and verse 12, David said, Lord, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Isn't that awesome? Lord, give me back the joy. I've lost it. I've lost my joy, but Lord, restore to me the joy. Now, how many of you can remember the joy you experienced when you first got saved? Come on, don't you remember what it was like to to feel the burden of your sin roll away? To know what it was like in that moment to suddenly feel free from the bondage and the shackles of your past. To know that God is looking at you and, and he calls you son and daughter. That he loves you. That he says what he said about his own son. This is my son. This is my daughter in whom I am well pleased. That moment where you gave your heart and your life to Jesus and all of a sudden, all the other stuff Didn't matter as much anymore. For the first time, there was clarity. It was like seeing the world through new eyes. It was like being born again. That's exactly what Jesus said it was like. How many of you remember that moment where Jesus saved you and he rescued you? That's the moment. That's what this prayer speaks of. That's the moment that God invites us into. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. And I believe that God wants to restore that to some of us today. There's joy in salvation. I'm going to pray in just a moment, but before I do, I'm going to ask this worship team to come. 
Just begin to play that song that you were singing earlier. I want to ask a question today. If you're here and you say, you know, I, I need joy. I need God's joy. I'm not talking about just happiness. And happiness is great, by the way. God cares about your happiness. The Bible says he cares for the sparrow that falls from the sky. How much more does he care about you? God cares about your happiness. But happiness can come and go. God wants to give you a sustained joy today. And this is, this is not... This is not rub the lamp and get your three wishes. This is not, God, remove all my problems. God, God doesn't promise that he's going to take away our problems. God doesn't promise that we're not going to have difficulties. But he does promise his joy. And it can be our strength. Now, I want to ask you to stand all over this room.